Tech has never been more important to our lives, but its future has perhaps never been more uncertain. Top companies face withering criticism at home and rising competition from abroad while they wait for President-elect Biden to make his first moves. Aaron Levy operates right in the middle of all of it. He's the CEO of Box, a nearly $3 billion data storage company that's much bigger than a startup, but much smaller than one of the giants. More than 100,000 companies use Box's software, including the likes of Morgan Stanley and Coca-Cola. In recent years, Levy has become one of the most outspoken CEOs in Silicon Valley, driving discussion on issues from immigration to big tech. On this episode of Influencers, Aaron Levy joins me to talk about the secret to Airbnb's success as it nears its IPO, how Washington might regulate Facebook and Twitter, and what business leaders really think of Donald Trump. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Influencers. I'm Andy Serwer, and welcome to our guest, Aaron Levy, co-founder and CEO of Box. Aaron, great to see you. Hey, good to see you, Andy. So first of all, for those people who aren't familiar, why don't you tell us a little bit about Box, what you do, and how you make money? Yeah, so uh, we, uh, we started Box 15 years ago, really with a very simple premise, which was we wanted to make it easy and secure for people and businesses to access uh, all of their data, all of their information from any device, anytime, anywhere. And so we built this secure platform to help enterprise manage their most important digital assets and content. Um, and, uh, and we've been now um, uh, doing this for about 15, 15 years. We have over 100,000 customers globally. We're in about 70% of the Fortune 500 and, and enterprises pay us a monthly subscription fee uh, or annual subscription fee to be able to use our software and store and secure all of their data. So subscription business, people love that. Yeah, yeah. How's it been uh, during COVID-19? Are you one of those stay-at-home trades or how's that working out? Yeah, so I think, um, you know, it's it's been an interesting journey. We, we started our com- company on the premise that people wanted to be able to work uh, from anywhere and be able to access informa- information from anywhere. We obviously never would have imagined that a pandemic um, would actually drive the acceleration and ubiquitous um, uh, sort of adoption of this type of technology. But um, that's sort of the environment that we've been in, where companies globally have been adopting video conferencing solutions, new communication platforms like Slack and others, as well as more modern ways to manage their digital content and digital information. So there's been a lot of growth um, in the business, especially in the enterprise segment. At the same time, of course, there's been challenges because you have small businesses that um, are dealing with a lot of difficulty in their businesses. You have some sectors of the economy that are harder uh, hit and, uh, and, and, um, and are dealing with you know, the, the, the COVID crisis in, um, in unfortunately you know, worse ways. So it's been a little bit of a mixed bag, but we have been able to, uh, to grow uh, pretty quickly with our enterprise customer base. Oh, interesting. Um, so I want to ask you about um, cyber security this year and, and how that threat has influenced the business and how are you trying to mitigate that? How much is that something that you have to worry about every single day? 
Yeah, so um, you know, cyber is sort of core to what we what we do. Um, we hold um, and we manage and, and we store some of the most sensitive data in the world, um, from you know everything from pharmaceutical companies that are working on a new, new um, you know drug and, and doing you know clinical research, all the way to banks that are collaborating with their most uh, important clients, to media organizations that are working on film scripts and a new uh, launch to a new film. So our platform has to be able to secure that information, and our companies. Um, the companies that use Box look to Box to be able to help them uh, really stay secure in the digital age. So security is incredibly important to our strategy. You guys went public in 2015, I believe, Aaron, and um, it's been a successful company, a trajectory, although profitability has been a little bit elusive. Talk to us about what you're doing to achieve that. Yeah, well, fortunately, it's become less elusive uh, over time. So, um, you know, we did guide this year to uh, double digit uh, percentage points in operating margin. Um, that was a pretty significant uh, change in our financial profile. We've uh, we've uh, guided to um, uh, to uh, around 100 million in, in free cash flow this year. So we're, we're definitely generating free cash flow in the business. Um, we're uh, we're growing, you know, pretty pretty rapidly at our scale. Um, we obviously want to grow even faster. We know that the market is uh, quite significant, and there's a lot of opportunity out there. But uh, um, we want to make sure that we're both balancing growth and profitability as we we continue to scale the company. Let's talk a little bit about some uh, IPOs right now, specifically Airbnb. I think you called uh, their decision to go public recently the perfect market hedge. What did you mean by that? Well, I think you know it's it's uh, it, it's interesting because you have um, I think the the market has sort of had this binary approach that there are companies that are either going to do well in COVID or be really impacted by COVID. So the the kind of classic examples are you know if you're a movie theater um, that's a really difficult business to be in. Um, if you're a traditional hotel operator, that's a really difficult business to be in. If you're an airline, that's a really tough business to be in. Conversely, uh, if you're a completely digital company. Um, or a company that is sort of digital, but but uh, whose trends are accelerated in this environment, like Peloton, then you're going to do extremely well uh, during COVID. And so you've seen the stock market actually um, have these trades where, uh, at the moment there's a vaccine announcement, the companies that uh, have been you know really impacted by COVID negatively, their stocks go up, um, and actually the stay-at-home, you know, work-from-home stocks uh, tend to go down. The really interesting thing about Airbnb is it actually works in both of those environments. Um, Airbnb has found a way to both be compelling for people that want to be able to work remotely because so many people want to work remotely from new and unusual locations. Maybe um, they want to be able to you know, go, go somewhere different for a couple of months. And so Airbnb has been seeing a ton of growth um, with a very different kind of use case. At the same time, if the vaccine comes out quickly and everybody feels comfortable traveling again, then the company will do very well because they're, they're going to stand to gain uh, a lot of that growth as the hospitality industry um, is able to reemerge. And so it's one of these stocks where um, almost no matter what the environment is, uh, they're going to have a lot of great use cases for customers, whether it's because of travel and, and leisure um, or if it's from working from home in a new Airbnb location. Mm -hmm. Interesting there, too. So big tech has gotten a lot bigger during COVID. Is that something that's good or bad? <laughs> I guess depends on if you're in uh, big tech or uh, or a very happy customer of of big tech. But you know, I think in general, it was almost an inevitability that that um, the the leading technology platforms of our time 
we're only going to get bigger and bigger. Um, our lives uh, are only becoming more dependent on digital technologies, whether those are social networks, um, whether those are, are the mobile devices we use or the marketplaces that we, uh, we purchase from like e-commerce platforms um, or cloud infrastructure from Amazon or Microsoft or Google. All of these um, underlying platforms were only going to get bigger over time. And what COVID did was sort of accelerated that adoption um, that maybe would have played out over a five or 10 year period into a matter of quarters or a, a, a one year uh, time frame. Um, but uh, I don't think that, that that acceleration is is either good or bad. I think that that it's going to cause us to um, ask questions about, you know, how should we regulate these platforms in the digital age? We already knew that these were the most powerful platforms in our lives um, and in the economy. Now the question is, what type of regulation is going to be required to keep these companies in check, to make sure that we protect consumers, to make sure that there's fair and open competition uh, within these within these ecosystems, and these are going to be really important questions, obviously for the Biden administration, uh, for for Congress um, in the coming years, and it'll be really interesting to see like where where do we actually end up in, in, from a regulation standpoint. I think I think for the most part, there's there's um, we've we've sort of treated this as a uh, as a kind of a one size fits all type of issue where you know um, the conversation is we break up big tech. I tend to think that, that that's probably not the, the right solution for a lot of the issues that we deal with. Um, uh, uh, I think we actually just need modern regulation um, and modern forms of, of regulating the digital economy, whether that's in the form of, of again, marketplaces or social media. Um, but, uh, but I don't think the issue is necessarily just the size of these companies in terms of their market capture, their revenue. I think it's really the powerful position that they play um, in our daily lives today. And we need modern forms of regulation to uh, to ensure that these platforms are being used appropriately and and um, and being run, um, you know, in you know, for the the good of consumers. Aaron, can I ask you to drill down into that a little bit? Do you have any specific ideas as to how that could be accomplished? Um, you know, I think the 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 part of the issue is that if you look at um, how uh, these congressional hearings have have played out, they've they've combined companies like Amazon, Apple, Google, and Facebook into one conversation. And the reality is is that the, the, the issues that each of those companies are dealing with from a competitive standpoint or uh, their, their, their uh, position of power are completely different, right? Uh, for Facebook and Twitter, the issue is around the information that we see, the, um, the censorship or lack thereof in some cases, and, and how do we make sure that we are uh, ensuring that the right kind of information is being spread on those platforms and we don't get disinformation and we don't um, you know, end up having you know, harmful information spreading on those platforms. The way you would regulate that is entirely different from how you would regulate, you know, Apple or um, or Amazon because of the success that they have as a at scale marketplace. And so, for instance, probably in something like Facebook or Twitter, we need regulation that maybe looks more like when we had seatbelt seatbelts become law. Like, what do we do to protect um, uh, consumers, and how do we have guardrails in these platforms, um, as opposed to somehow breaking up these companies is going to be. Uh, the, the solution to this. So I think on, on social media, we need one set of regulations to deal with the spread of information. Um, in terms of large marketplaces, I think the question is, um, are, are, we, uh, are, are these platforms so powerful that they can stamp out competition um, in an unfair uh, you know, way that would obviously raise antitrust concerns? And you know, what, are the what are the rules then uh, of, the, of how those marketplaces need to be regulated and governed um, and I think what we need is modern digital approaches to that, as opposed to you know taking uh, laws that were written for the 1800s or the 1900s and trying to apply them uh, to the 21st century. 
one defense the CEOs of these companies make, Aaron, is that, boy, if you fetter us in any way, hinder us in any way, we won't be able to compete against China. And so it's in the national interest to leave us the heck alone. Do you buy that? Well, you know, I, I'm I'm of two minds on this issue. I actually think that um, I, I think it's a it's a great um, example of of American ingenuity and of capitalism that you actually have trillion dollar companies that have been able to build you know amazing products that we all love and that we consume you know every day. It's the reason that we can do this Skype call right now. Is is uh, it's the MacBook that I'm uh, it's the Mac that I'm using. Um, it's the cloud technology from Microsoft that we're using. It's the internet and fiber that was that was built out because of of, of, uh, of people wanting to invest in that infrastructure. So I, I actually think that it, the size of these companies isn't really the problem. The the, the 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 only question is in the digital age, what types of modern forms of regulation do we need? It's the same reason why we we've, we've had regulation over many years. There's there's you know the media is regulated. Um, you know cars are regulated. Um, the the networks that, um, uh, that that we you know are, are you know transport on uh, in the air or on the ground are regulated. So um, so there's there's a question of you know should digital platforms continue to be completely unfettered um, in in how they work and how they operate and how they can compete, or should there be some guardrails that are meant to protect consumers as well as ensure fair competition? And uh, and I do think that that uh, it's a real risk if we don't uh, create an environment where you can build massive companies. Then I do think that China and India will be you know more significant threats for us. Um, but uh, but again, I, I think this is something that requires a surgical approach as opposed to broad based solutions like let's break up these companies. I don't think that will actually accomplish much. Um, and uh, and I think that's uh, that's more of a distraction than the underlying issue. Do you have any idea of how the Biden administration is considering moving forward on this front, both with regard specifically to the tech companies and with regard to that relationship to China? Well, I think, um, you know, from the limited interactions that, that I've had with, um, you know, with, with parts of the, the team over there, well, the thing I'm very optimistic about is, um, is the thoughtfulness of the approaches that the Biden administration will take. Um, I think we've been in an environment for four years where we've only had these very heavy handed um, and, again, kind of blunt force uh, types of solutions to global trade, to Internet censorship, to um, uh, to things like immigration. And when I look at the Biden administration, the, the you know, already the team that has been assembled, as well as just I think the general thoughtfulness that Biden has, as well as you know, Vice President Harris has on these issues. Um, I think we're going to see a very, very different kind of approach, one that is much more nuanced to these topics, one that takes in more uh, feedback and collaboration from the tech industry, as well as other industries that are impacted. And, and I think we'll end up you know, having, again, uh, much better either legislation or, um, or policies that are enacted. If you just take, for example, the immigration issue um, that we've been facing, you know, um, uh, the Trump administration has, has really dealt with in immigration um, in a very, very archaic um, yeah, type of fashion um, that doesn't really take into account the fact that um, America needs talent coming in from all around the world to come build amazing companies and to work at our amazing uh, you know, companies. And, uh, and Trump has set us back many, many years in terms of being able to bring talent into this country. 
Um, and that's just an example of these small decisions seemingly on, on the administration side that end up having a massive ripple effect over time where the next Apple, the next Google, the next Facebook doesn't get created here. It gets created in China uh, or India or another country. And that is going to set our economy back many, many years um, if we're not able to accelerate um, uh, you know, some of these, these solutions. So again, I have a lot of faith that, that the Biden and Harris administration will be much more effective at dealing with these issues. You haven't been afraid to be critical of President Trump. And um, I, I'm wondering, A, do you think he's really ever going to concede? And B, do you think the business world should be prepared for him to run again in 2024? <laughs> well, um, I, you know, I think uh, I, I think we're going to all have to probably have a new definition of what, what conceding looks like at this point. And, um, and I think uh, we, we probably shouldn't anticipate that there's ever a moment where he accepts that, that he lost the election. I, I'm guessing that uh, he's going to claim that the whole process was fraudulent till the very end. So, so I, I, don't, uh, I don't hold out much hope, nor do I really care uh, whether he officially concedes at this point. Um, I think the you know, businesses, um, you know, what, what's been interesting about this environment is uh, every, I think the market generally recognizing that policy and business go hand in hand. Um, it, you know, immigration policy is what created our, the ability for Silicon Valley to exist and for, for Silicon Valley to be at the forefront of technology globally. So uh, you can't have uh, an innovation economy without thinking through immigration, without thinking through in, in, uh, internet and, and privacy and encryption policy, without thinking through global trade. And, and so, you know, a lot of people say, well, wh why do companies have to be so political? Well, it's, it, no, no company wants to be political, but policy impacts our ability to build successful companies, our ability to hire and retain, you know, talent in our country. That, that is where policy ends up intersecting with, with the economy. And so um, I think what businesses want, and, and even over the past four years, even when in public, maybe a lot of business leaders wouldn't have been as comfortable to say these things, in private, business leaders... I think we're, we're incredibly frustrated with just the level of volatility that was happening uh, and the level of chaos that was occurring within the Trump administration. This is not, you know, you want to be able to, to trust that your government is thinking over many, many years or many, many decades in terms of the policies that they're enacting, not that you're going to wake up one morning and all of a sudden you're going to have a new trade war with a country that now is going to impact your own ability to execute your business. And so what, what I think business leaders want is that stability, that consistency, that thoughtfulness of policy and approach. Um, and that's what what and whether that's Democrat or Republican, I, I think matters a lot less than than just the ability to have a much more stable political um, and governance environment. Yeah, but you're out there. I mean, you're outspoken. You got I'm just looking at another laptop here. We got two point four million followers on Twitter um, and you're not shy about making your opinions known. And so I'm wondering what you think about those CEOs who privately convey their feelings to you, um, their displeasure with what happened. Are those people cowards? No, I, I don't think so. I, I, think, um, uh, I think it's probably uh, more of just a personality trait that I have where I feel comfortable, you know, saying, you know, random stuff on the internet. Um, but I don't, I don't fault anybody for uh, for not making you know public statements when they don't feel comfortable, I think it's um, uh, I think that I I'm very happy to see so many companies and CEOs and other business leaders that that will stand up uh, for important issues, whether it was the immigration ban, whether it was for Black Lives Matter, 
Um, uh, I, I think that was that was great to see. But again, I, I don't think it's a I don't think it's an expectation that we have to have for all CEOs that they have to stand up for these issues or they're, or they're, you know, there's cowardice. Did you take any heat from any customers or potential customers, Aaron? Now I love to be a box customer or I was, but then I saw what you were saying. And so I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to do business with you anymore. Um, you know, I'm, maybe there's a couple examples uh, here and there, but for the most part, I saw the opposite. Um, we would see a lot of customers, um, either publicly or privately reach out saying, you know, thank you for taking a stand on this issue. Um, this is super important to us. And, um, and we, we appreciate that there are voices in Silicon Valley and, and the tech community that are driving this. You know, what, what's interesting is um, uh, we, we think about Silicon Valley as, as sort of this isolated, you know, region that has its own set of political views and, um, and you know, we're in a bubble and, and, you know, frankly, we are in a bubble. There, there's no question that, that we have our own you know, kind of universe out here. However, the issues that are impacting technology companies, let's say immigration issues, social issues um, that, that we have within, uh, within our communities, these are issues that, that every organization, every company is going to be facing. Um, you know, when I talk to, uh, you know, an industrial company or a large bank or an automotive company, they care about immigration as much as a tech company does, because what they recognize is that in the 21st century, their businesses are gonna be defined by their technology strategies. So if Silicon Valley is having a hard time you know, bringing in amazing technical talent from all around the world, you can be sure that, that Detroit and New York and Chicago and other epicenters of, of other major industries, they're gonna be facing the exact same issues because they need amazing engineering talent. They need to make sure that, that we've got modern privacy regulation and global trade figured out from an internet standpoint. And so the issues that, that we think of as our tech industry issues, these are issues that are going to affect every single industry. And so what, what I hear from a lot is, is that, you know, CEOs um, and other business leaders will say, you know, we're, we're glad that the tech industry is, is stepping up for these types of, of topics, again, immigration reform and, and otherwise, because these are the exact issues that go in and impact their own businesses outside of Silicon Valley. At one point, Aaron, immigration was a bipartisan issue. It was something that Democrats and Republicans could more or less agree on. Not true today. Do you have any hope that we can bring this back together where we can accomplish something on immigration and maybe just more broadly speaking in terms of a, a political perspective where we can get things done in Washington? I, you know, I, I think on the I think on the broad based, uh, you know, political point, uh, it's that that one is you know way above certainly any of our pay grades to uh, to try and figure out. I think that's a uh, it's super difficult to uh, to imagine that all of a sudden Congress becomes you know very functional and great relationships. You know, you saw Marco Rubio's tweet today um, already attacking you know obviously very high quality cabinet members um, you know from uh, from the Biden administration. So that's not a great sign that that things have gotten any more collaborative um, you know within uh, within this transition period. That being said, if you take something like immigration reform, um, you know, I was on uh, I was on a video with with a number of senators on the right uh, just three months ago, where uh, where everybody basically uniformly agreed that that we should have uh, improved high high skilled immigration reform in the U.S. so we can bring in talent from all around the world. Um, so the only reason that that's not taken up as a topic is that it was you know, politically not expedient if, if you went and, and actually you know, tried to bring this up as an issue because the Trump administration 
had that as one of their biggest issues was making sure that we, they don't talk about uh, or solve any issues on immigration reform. So what I'm hopeful for is, is that, you know, the, uh, uh, that, that hopefully more rational behavior, uh, more objective approaches will, uh, will start to take form under the Biden administration um, and that we do get more collaboration within Congress. But I'm, I'm certainly, you know, going to be cautiously optimistic on that front. With COVID, the election, and then the other big issue of the year, of course, has been racial and social justice and the reckoning uh, that that discussing those issues is brought to bear. How are you things, how are you doing at Fox and how are things, how diverse is your company and how satisfied are you with that diversity? Yeah, um, you know, I think this has been an effort that, that we've had for a number of years now um, to, to put a greater focus on diversity and inclusion within our organization. I think like all companies, we have more work to do on this front. I've been happy about, you know, some of the progress that we've made, but we obviously have more that, that we can do. Um, and I think more broadly, uh, this is just a, a massive uh, topic of, of concern for, for most business leaders is how do we ensure that there isn't any type of systemic um, you know, uh, inequity within, you know, our, our hiring practices, uh, within, you know, how people are paid within, um, you know, the, the places that we recruit from, um, how do we make sure that we're able to, uh, you know, avoid any of those, uh, those types of, of, of differentials. And, and that's something that we care a lot about at Box. And, and what I, I know that, you know, is becoming a, a greater concern for the broader industry. As we look to recover, uh, from COVID and the pandemic, um, we obviously have had a number of government programs to address economic issues. What do you think the best way forward is there? Do we need another stimulus program? And if so, what form should it take, Aaron? Yeah, I, I um, definitely not an area of, of, of extreme expertise on, on my end, but um, I'm more biased toward things that give people money um, as opposed to the large businesses money. Um, I think we should do whatever we can to ensure that people that are out of work um, or that have been, you know, paid less because of this environment that we're able to, um, you know, effectively make them whole as much as possible um, to, to no fault uh, on, on somebody's end. You know, if you were working at a movie theater before or at a hotel chain or at, a, um, at an airline um, and you're out of work, I think the government absolutely should, should, um, uh, should create stimulus um, to, uh, to be able to ensure that, that you're able to get through this period. Uh, and I, I think that we should do it um, rapidly and hopefully very, um, you know, uh, again, in a, a fairly aggressive way. I think it's super important, especially as you get through the holiday season and at least until a point where we have mass uh, adoption of a vaccine. So I, I would absolutely favor that and, and, uh, and, and put a lot of emphasis on that effort. You are, I guess we could call you a slightly older wunderkind at this point. What are you, 34 years old at this right now? I'm 35 now, so I'm way, I'm way past, uh, I'm way past any of those terms that you can use now. Anyway, you started Box uh, when you were at USC, right? Yeah. And, um, so I'm curious for people who are in school or just getting out of school, what advice would you have for people who are trying to start a business, maybe even right now during the pandemic? Yeah, I think um, most of my my business advice is is probably advice you would use at any at any stage of uh, of your career or or you know pandemic or or not economic collapse or not, which is um, you know the best businesses are started because you're solving a a new and important problem that is just emerging and um, and I think you know what is 
the optimism I have in this environment is I, I'm seeing on a daily basis amazing new companies get started and, and, and be able to scale and grow um, because there's an all new set of problems that, that are emerging. Um, you know, what social distancing has created is a new set of problems and, and issues uh, that consumers and businesses are dealing with, whether it's new technology for remote work, whether it's new consumers, the consumer services uh, that, that help people um, be entertained or communicate. I think there's all new, all new types of companies and opportunities that have just emerged right now. So ultimately, my advice is you have to find problems that are just emerging, um, that people that that people care about, and uh, are a big enough problem to warrant a new solution to those problems. And and when you find that, when you find that magic um, uh, you, you sort of section of the Venn diagram, uh, that's where where you know great uh, entrepreneurial endeavors uh, exist. And you know before Box, I had many many companies uh, that failed miserably, and it's because I didn't find a new problem. That was that was important. That was just emerging, and um, when we, we got very lucky with Box, that the you know right time we, we started the company at the exact right time uh, for when this idea of accessing data from anywhere was emerging, and we had the right solution at the right moment. But um, uh, but really, you know, there there is never a bad time to start a company. Um, uh, but uh, but there are plenty of uh, but yet that all means that you have to have the right idea at that time. And finally, Aaron, what about the future of Box? Uh, it's kind of a medium-sized tech company right now, I guess you could say. And you know, some people have said, "Wow, you got to become an ecosystem and a, and a mega platform to survive." So, where do you see the company going forward over the next several years? Yeah, so um, we're we're uh, super focused on on our core vision that we started the company with. Uh, we, we believe that with billions of people globally working on digital technologies to be able to collaborate, to be able to share, you know, whether that is they're making a movie. They're serving a client. They're launching an ad campaign. Um, they are, uh, uh, you know, they are building a new car or a new uh, consumer product. The, they're going to need technology that helps them collaborate and manage their most important digital assets in a secure way, in a um, in a way that is real time, in a way that lets them share across uh, all of their partners and their colleagues. So. Our job is just to continue to build the best platform that helps people manage their digital content um, wherever they're working from and whoever they're working with. And so that problem has only increased in terms of importance and in terms of, of, uh, of the challenge that businesses are facing. And our, our job is to make sure we continue to build the best platform that helps our customers solve those problems. Okay, Aaron Levy, co-founder and CEO of Box. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Andy. You've been watching Influencers. I'm Andy Serwer. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Influencers. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow Yahoo Finance on Twitter at Yahoo Finance and at Serwer.